had this period in my career where I won pretty much every contest. Um, and it, and it went to a point where my dad kind of stopped saying nice work and instead it was like, okay, what can we do so that you do a better job next time? So it didn't matter that I had won, you know, like in comparison, I won, you know, by points, points ahead of the other. It wasn't just like a small margin. Um, it didn't really matter. There was, you would skip the congratulations and go straight to the, what can we do to make this better? Those who are living a life of freedom have optimized themselves and their lives in pursuit of one thing, choice. They've created the financial, geographical, and time freedom to do what they want, when they want to. But they've also created freedom from their internal limitations, their story, their biology, and their character. In this podcast, The Freedom Project, it is my attempt to shortcut your learning curve to having total freedom in your life so you can go and do more cool shit. I'm going to bring you deep dives into some of the most inspiring adventure athletes and business owners in the world. I'm also going to give you the key concepts of my coaching process to adventurepreneurs so you can start applying that to your life today. So here is another episode of The Freedom Project. At some point in life, you're going to have to drop the identity you've built and change who you are. Sometimes this comes at the end of a challenging career when you've realized you're just not going to make it. And other times, this is when you're going to do incredibly exciting and daunting things. For example, when you're moving on to another stage in life. When Jackie Passo decided to give up on her mogul skiing Olympic dream, she encountered the first identity shift. It sparked this incredibly difficult time for her. But the lessons she learned in that time ultimately made her one of the world's greatest pro skiers. Jackie dominated many events of the Freeride World Tour and set the bar for the type of skiing that was possible. She built a career that many dream of but few achieve. Once more, her identity was built to support this life. But when Jackie and her husband got pregnant, once more a shift of identity was imminent. Jackie found herself asking questions around how her life would look post-baby and what would happen to her career and also her way of life. Alongside Elise Salkstad, Jackie featured in Here, Hold My Kid, a ski movie sharing this journey as they shred big mountains whilst being new mothers. Alongside the details of Here, Hold My Kid, we discuss dealing with mental health and how to approach challenges you face, navigating the uncertainty of identity shifts, what kind of example Jackie intends to be for her kids, what Jackie wishes she could have known when going through her initial identity shift, and her process of skiing big lines. Now, these identity shifts, they're kind of this death and rebirth cycle that so many of us have been through. I'm sure if you think back to your life, there'll be multiple times when you've been through a death and rebirth cycle where the old version of you has to die and hopefully, like a phoenix from the ashes, you rise. Now, I see these the whole time with working with my clients and in fact, I'm working with someone right now who's letting that old version of herself die and in the process of rising from the ashes and redeveloping and reimagining herself and really becoming a more authentic genuine version of her it doesn't make it any less painful even if you know what's happening but i do think it helps you navigate and accept reality so in this episode with jackie i think it's useful well i found it useful i'm obviously unlikely to become a mother in the future um but there's a chance of becoming a father and there's an identity shift that may happen in there and this episode with Jackie has been very helpful with this conversation in helping me 
accept part of those changes and also open myself up to things that I may not have anticipated. So here is Jackie Parsu. Jackie, welcome to the show. I'm like so stoked to be speaking to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. I'm happy have to be on, on the show today. My absolute pleasure. So in doing a little bit of research for today, I was scrolling through your Instagram and I saw, I think it was your, I think I've got it up now actually, which is your, um, your was it your first attempt at skiing? And what I can see is a version of you with a kind of smashed up face, is it like a swollen <laughs> eye. Um, talk to me about that. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't my first attempt, I believe. I think I was about six or seven at the time. So I started skiing when I was four. But I was living in Massachusetts, and um, I had my one of my cousins was also living with us at the time. And they it was winter. There was a sledding hill, and they had built a jump. Um, and they they were sledding; they're just hitting like normal. And I thought, actually, I honestly don't know who was behind it. I don't know if my cousin was like, "Hey, let's send you off this jump." Um, but what I I agreed, and I I thought I was gonna do this and it's going to go awesome. Um, what happened was I ended up sliding down the backside of the jump on my face. <laughs> so I'm sure my cousin, who I think he was at least, I think he's like 12 years older than me was probably slightly terrified going back to my parents, um, with my entire cheek all cut up and swollen and everything. But I don't remember it being like a scarring. Like I was like, I'm never doing that again. I, 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 I think I, well, Maybe not the sliding down the face part, but thought everything else was fun. So my yeah, I was about to say, you look stoked in yeah. that photo. You were like, yeah, <laughs> I did something cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was just the the first of many uh, bumps and bruises and cuts and scrapes. So, how did you become the type of kid who falls down the backside of a jump on the face and goes, "I want to do some more of that"? Like, what were your influences to make you that type of person? I'm I'm pretty sure I had a lot to do with my father. Um, he he was a professional American football player for a brief moment, and he was always uh, coaching a ton of athletes. So when I was young, growing up, um, I don't know how familiar you are with the NFL, but he we were we were living in Foxborough at a period um, in our life, and that's where the New England Patriots trained and play. Um, and so my dad used to go to their practices and kind of help train them like the more unofficial ones. This is, you know, 30 years, 30 plus years ago. Um, and not only would he train them, but he would train with them. So his, his nickname in the NFL was like Dr. Death and leg breaker. <laughs> Cause he'd like just absolutely destroy these, you know, 20 something year old guys at the height of their fitness. And he's like in his forties and you just get out there and train with them. So I'm pretty sure, um, my like love of sports and anything like that comes mostly from him. Um, I'd have to say. What kind of stuff did he teach you? Like, were there any explicit lessons like this is how to be, or is it more implicit? Um, <laughs> he was always saying like kind of the, I'm, I don't know the base. I don't know if people say it nowadays, but like, you know, speed is your friend. Um, he, he never really made a difference. Cause I had a brother. I was like two years younger. He never really made a difference between the fact that I was a, 
boy. I mean, sorry, I was a girl and he was a boy back then. Um, it was just like, okay, we're doing these sports. We're doing them together. And um, yeah, doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, which people nowadays might be saying like, oh, well, it's a bit silly, but back 30 years ago, that, that was a thing. I remember um, being at one of the practices, the football practices when I was at that age where all the boys could join like peewee football league thinking like, Oh, this is like, I want to do this. And I remember one of the coaches at the time saying like, Oh, it's too, you know, your, your brother will be able to play soon. Cause he was two years younger, but like, no, like nothing about me being able to play. Um, but that was really nothing that like my father was just like, yeah, we're all in, we're, we're going to do this. You keep, you fall down, you get back up again. Um, to the point where it's a little bit extreme sometimes, um, especially if you're not so much of a sports family. I'm sure some parents must have been like, oh, my God, this guy is kind of crazy. Um, but it sometimes it was too much. Um, but I think it kind of made me the person I am today. And it, it really didn't bother me that much because I just always like, I love sports and wanted to to be as good as I possibly could be Adam. So I kind of liked having my dad behind me, pushing me a bit. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You can kind of, I hear this the whole time. So I used to work with a lot of um, professional athletes in the CrossFit realm. And these guys were elite performers in every sense of the way they usually had some sort of parental figure who like pushed and pushed and pushed, but in a, in a way that they deem as positive, but the outside world might go, actually that's um like not the way i'd see it but like was that were there any situations where you're like okay i don't think this is positive at the time but you look back at it and go oh that shapes me in a really um beneficial way um oh i i I think the the one in it, and I'm, I'm still up for debate and you don't have to ask my husband about this um is that when I, so I used to ski moguls back in the day and especially in like the, the regional level, I had this period in my career where I won pretty much every contest. Um, and it, and it went to a point where my dad kind of stopped saying nice work and said, it was like, okay, what can we do so that you do a better job next time? So it didn't matter that I had won, you know, like in comparison, I won, you know, by points, points ahead of the other. It wasn't just like a small margin. Um, it didn't really matter. There was, you would skip the congratulations and go straight to the, what can we do to make this better? Um, and I, I think in one sense, it's good because it, it made me always want to improve and, and work on getting better so I could get to the next level. But at the other hand, it always, it also never made me satisfied, um, with my performance. Um, so it's like, even in, with some victories that I've had, I could, I could pull them apart and, and not entirely be satisfied. Um, because I was always looking at what, what could I do to be better? So it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn with that because I think that it's, it's what it requires to kind of, for some people at least to get to that, the next level. But at the same time, it's, it, it can be pretty tough. It's, it's not necessarily the healthiest way to go about things, um, to, 
to never feel fully satisfied with your performance or, or where you're at. So it's, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's good looking back. <laughs> it's a very useful question. Like what could we do better? It's just, I suppose it's what it's surrounded in as well. Um, and like, I'm, I almost guarantee that everyone in every situation is doing the best they possibly can. Um, so I, I know that that wouldn't have come from a malicious place or a place like, how can we instill a deep fear of not being good enough into Jackie from a young age? It's more like, how can we make her be a best? Um, but it's an interesting question and useful. How did that like translate to your performance and to that, um, that winning streak that you had? Um, I mean that, like that winning streak, for example, I was, I was, I think my teenage mid teens. Um, so I have to try and think back to <laughs> exactly how, how it was. I think it was one of those things that, um, you know, it was disappointing for a moment. Um, cause you always want you know, at least your parents to say like, congratulations, nice work. Um, but at the same time, it's not like I didn't have that kind of, I knew it was his way of showing his support. Um, but for, and then my mother was just like, no matter what I did, it was always great and amazing. So I had both sides of it, which I think that helped if I, if I had both of my parents coming down on me being like, what can, you know, all right, that was, that was all right. Like what's, what, what's up next. Um, I think that would have been really difficult. Um, so to have kind of like good cop, bad cop type of <laughs> parenting in, in some sense, um, it was okay. Uh, mm. and, uh, how it helped. I mean, yeah, I suppose I kept, I kept pushing and, and wanting to improve. And it, I think you have to have that kind of full focus all the time. You can't just sit and be comfortable. Um, if, if you want to get to the next level, you have to kind of always be consistent, like constantly pushing yourself. Um, otherwise there's always somebody that's going to be working harder and get, get past you or, you know, get there first. So. How did you see yourself at that time? Like what was your, uh, your identity in terms of the way you viewed yourself? Uh, I saw myself as a skier, um, probably, you know, mostly a mobile skier that was like, I was an athlete. That's what I did. Um, I was, you know, okay in academics, but, um, especially as I got older, my focus was more into sports and everything. So it was my whole life. Um, my whole identity at Bellic at the time. Um, yeah, it was a big, a big part of me. Okay. And then there's a point where you go, actually mogul skiing isn't the ultimate path what happened in leading you up to that point um so i had uh injury uh nothing like not a major like i didn't have a knee surgery or anything like that uh, knock on wood is that still <laughs> uh yes i've had oh, knee injuries but impressive. not like yeah really uh, especially being a mobile skier for so long mm-hmm. yeah. um all my knee injuries came in free ride but still managed to, yeah, get through them like fairly. For- yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I had, I had minor injuries, but I, I think the bigger problem was just like the love, the passion for the sport was kind of fading. And um, 
it was hard. It was hard for my parents to kind of support, like they did everything they could, but you know, skiing, especially in the States is fairly wealthy sport and it requires a lot of money. And my parents like did as much as they could, but I, as I got older, especially it was hard for me to ignore how much they were struggling. Mm. Um, so it was, it was hard for me to be like, okay, I'm going to keep pushing forward. And especially once I started having doubts, um, it wasn't like a, you know, it's not a big deal. Like this, this money is not a big deal for them. I'll just keep, I'll see how far it goes. It's kind of like, all right, well, I really need to decide if this is worth it. Um, and if I have the heart, because without the heart, it's just not gonna, I'm not going to get to where I want to go. Um, so yeah, it was something that I decided at, after like a, maybe a couple seasons of struggling and not really having the passion that like, all right, this is this isn't working. I need to call it quits. But that, that's a tough that thing to do, though. Easy. Like, yeah, how old how old are you at that point? And like, yeah, actually, how old are you? At that point? Twenty, uh, twenty one, twenty two, mm-hmm. something like that. So it was you know more than half my life I had spent at that point mobile skiing, competing, and with dreams of you know going to the Olympics and yeah you know, having all these goals, um, and not really thinking about anything else besides skiing. So it was, it was, for me, it was pretty devastating. Um, and yeah, it, it led to some pretty difficult years. Yeah. And do you reckon, like, why do you think that was so difficult for you? Um, I just, I don't know. I hadn't, uh, I think it was difficult for a couple of reasons. I think one, I felt like a bit of a failure for having just stopped doing this, following chasing the stream that I had tried for so many years to pursue, especially knowing that it was um, quite the investment for my family. Um, and, and then also personally, I, you know, it meant a lot to try and achieve my dreams and then to feel like, okay, well, it's not happening anymore. Um it's, it's hard to admit defeat or failure. Um, and, and it's not like I had anything else planned. So I didn't, I had no idea where I was going to go. I didn't know what my next dreams or plans or any, like I, I just was totally lost. So it was a hard spot to be in. Yeah. I can, I can really imagine there's that, there's that feeling of I'm this type of person. This is what I'm doing. I've got very clear, um, path in front of me and then to change that is a very very tough thing how did you how do you view that now actually like if you look back at that decision like what's your opinion of it from today's eyes I think from today's eyes I I, I wouldn't have been as stressed I I would have been able to see like I have so much more of my life ahead of me um, it's not the end of the world and uh, other doors are going to open. Um, it's easy said now <laughs> when I kind of have a better grasp on how the world, yeah, better perspective and idea of how the whole world works. Um, right then and I, I probably could have had somebody saying that to me and I wouldn't have believed them just yet. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely wish that I hadn't, um, kind of what it felt like wasted a couple of years in this like uh, 
darkness kind of just being like my it's it's done that's it there's there's nothing there's nothing left my my whole identity is is done um if the older me could have gotten through to my younger self at the time I would have realized like oh it's it's okay it's not the end of the world this happens to a lot of people um you're gonna end up somewhere you wouldn't have imagined but that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah in the pro or what point did you decide to move to was it lake tahoe yeah um oh it was maybe four so years after i started four or five years after i started stop mogul skiing Um, okay so what happened in that interim time uh i tried moving out to utah for a bit um and yeah, it didn't really work. And I was back and yeah, I was kind of back and forth a bit between Utah, East Coast, went on a Knowles experience, like thought I wanted to be a mountaineer. Uh, and then um, ended up like pretty depressed uh, for some years. So I was, I was working, I was getting by, I was taking care of myself, but um wasn't really moving forward. I was just kind of trying to like uh, get by at that point, I'd say. So kind of this weird transition period where uh, I didn't really have any goals. I wasn't in college. I wasn't uh, pursuing any dreams. I was just kind of getting through the days. Yeah, that's suit like and i'll share a bit of my story i know it's not about me here um but it's kind of a useful corollary um so i was in the military for four years or so and i was like actually this isn't working for me as a human being for the drives that it's taking for me and also like my progression as a human being and that process of finishing that and then going what the hell do i do now that is such a it's just in the unknown. Like, how do I navigate this? How do I find something to grasp? And especially, I'm sure it's in mogul skiing, it must be, okay, I've got the the idea of the Olympics ahead of me, or I've got this goal and it's very clear and there's a pathway to get there. In the military, it's the same. I've got these ranks to climb. I've got these objectives to complete. Um, and then you're kind of thrust into the unknown of someone who's so goal-driven of like, this is, um, this is what I achieve next. That's very difficult to to negotiate is there anything that you learned from that time that you use now um i think the biggest thing that i learned is that it's okay to seek help it's okay to like admit that like okay i'm I'm not in the best position mentally and i need some assistance to kind of get out of this hole that i've dug myself into um and and that it is okay to not always have a goal to kind of just like take some time to um like just take it all in and maybe make a plan after you've kind of like had a chance to adjust and everything um because yeah if you are that kind of person that's always goal driven when that goal like when you fail at it or it disappears, whatever happens, um, it can be kind of hard. Like, okay, where do I go now? Mm. Cause I don't think it's like, for me, it wasn't like 
yeah, you have like your daily goals. Like I want to maybe go out and train and stuff like that. But it was important to have like this big goal to work for. Like, not just like, I want to make sure I pay rent at the end of the month or stuff like it. I needed something that was more um, challenging and, and interesting to me to, to kind of feel like I was really living life. Um, but uh, sometimes you need a break and sometimes you just need to reevaluate and sometimes you need help. And I think that's totally okay. But at the time when I was in my twenties, I thought, ah, oh, I'm a failure. No one's going to understand. No, one, like, and um, that's not the case. Everyone is, has their own struggles. Uh, even if they don't want to admit it, I think everyone's kind of dealing with something. Uh, and you'd be surprised once you start opening up and talking uh, what other people are experiencing and that you're not necessarily alone. Um, but at the same time, it's great to have supportive friends and family. Um, but I think like, depending on how much you're struggling, I think professional help is really important because, because everyone else is struggling, they only have so much energy that they can give you to help you. Um, and it's, it's best to like go and seek somebody that, um, that knows a little bit more is study this. And, but at the same time, um, it might not be the first person you go to. You kind of have to shop around when it comes to getting help. Um, and, and I think that's also important because when I first started getting help, seeking help again to that point, I remember the first doctor that I spoke to was like, Oh God, this is, I think he's just going to make me worse. Right. <laughs> it's possible. He just didn't understand my lifestyle or anything like that. Um, so I think it's really important to find the right person um and that might take a couple yeah couple is tries. that is that because you weren't following like the traditional career path Definitely. like i'm sure that your doctor had followed until that point of like okay progress through college do these qualifications become a doctor um, and you had something a bit different yes okay. De- definitely 100 percent. that was like he was like how are you going to pay your taxes how are you, you know it was, it was so concerned with the, the things are obviously yes they're important but it wasn't wasn't an issue like i was it just wasn't that, that wasn't the the important thing at the moment. That wasn't the problem. Um, and I think, uh, th- he wasn't in a ski town. Um, and when I went back to like where, uh, to, to Tahoe, for example, um, it was, it was easier for me to find somebody that like understood what, mm-hmm. you know, like with somebody in my situation, my lifestyle and everything like that. Um, it was easier for them to relate and to kind of, okay, this is where I'm coming from as opposed to if I were perhaps in a city, um, I would probably run into a lot of psychologists be like, what are you doing with with your life? Like, I don't understand this. So, um, you gotta, you have to find somebody that kind of understands where you're coming from, um, and, and where you'd like to be too. Mm. And that's very difficult if you don't have that overarching vision of this is what I want to like do with with yeah. like my life is kind of like a here's the the bigger goal that all the smaller goals are comprised of because well it's so disorientating you're trying to find that path for yourself at the same time yeah it's 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 um it's tricky because your head's not really clear you're not fully focused you might have a whole bunch of ideas and it's it's hard like when you're somebody like myself um 
I went from having one goal and then I went from having a massive amount of goals and I couldn't really narrow it down. I'd say that's kind of still the problem these days is that there's so many things that are interesting. And I think that's also the exciting thing about life is there are so many things out there and it's, it's impossible to do everything. Um, and it's impossible to know exactly what you're going to take interest in. Um, but if you don't know, maybe just try a whole bunch of things until something clicks. Um, cause you is that what happened for you? Did you try a bunch of things or was it like they, like, how did you, cause there's, I'm guessing there's a point where you go, Oh, this is the direction that I actually mm. want to go. And this is the, the greater purpose. And that might've been free ride world tour, or it could have been something kind of more like, how did you get to a point where you had that, that, um, more comprehensive vision? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say I like went so far outside the box cause I'm still skiing. Um, <laughs> I just changed <laughs> types of skiing. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I had that period where I thought I wanted to be a mountaineer. Um, at the time coming from the East coast, wasn't really familiar with ski mountaineering. Um, so I just wanted to be a mountaineer. I thought, um, I did a bit of like park freestyle skiing, uh, because especially coming from the East coast, that was the more natural, uh, progression if I wasn't going to be a mobile skier. But then when I moved out to Tahoe, I kind of was introduced to big mountain skiing. And, um, I had some friends that were like, Oh, you should, you should try a competition. Um, and I think, uh, once I signed up for my first competition and, you know, had a bit of success considering it was my first competition. I qualified into the finals and everything. I was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is maybe what I've been, been looking for. Um, and it, it, I was skiing. Um, I was challenging myself, but I wasn't like in a park just on the same run, which was similar to mobile skiing where you just pretty much do the same thing at a different mm. location. Um, but with, big mountain skiing. I was like, Oh, it's a, the, every mountain is so different. Um, new areas it can go into backcountry. It was kind of like mountaineering, but even more exciting from my opinion <laughs> as a skier. So it, it took some time, but I'd say after a few, uh, for competitions, I was like, okay, I think I like this. Um, I seem to have potential within this and I'm going to see how far this goes. Um, which if you had asked me 10 years earlier, I would have had no idea. Mm. So that's kind of fun. So I've got this idea that I speak to my clients about quite a lot, which is are you pursuing what's kind of ticking the boxes in terms of this pays the rent, this has these achieves these goals that are kind of very marked and clear ahead of me, or are you pursuing what's meaningful? And there's like a sense of gone. Sorry. I'm oh, sorry. No. Um, Definitely what's meaningful. The whole, all the other boxes, they, I figured them out, but it was a bit of a hustle. And, um, for me, it was more, it's like finding what drives me, what gives me passion, kind of like meaning. Um, and then I'll just figure out how I, how I pay the bills. If that meant at the time having three, four different jobs and trying to also manage to get the time off, um, to be able to do the sports that I wanted to do that's what it took. Um, uh, but this, it was some sacrifice and, um, but I, yeah, made it work. What was it about 
the feeling of big mountain skiing that was different to park skiing or mogul skiing like i'm talking about the actual kind of like i'm on my skis i'm there's like i know for me there's a different feeling but like what's that like for you um i think it's just like a little bit of the the unknown it's like mobile skiing especially nowadays like the courses you know they're it's an olympic sport so the courses are I don't know how long they are anymore, but they're, they're so long. The jumps are this, like everything is so regulated and structured and, and it's, it's a lot of the same. Yeah. The snow conditions might be slightly different, but for the most part, it's the same thing, just in a different location. Um, and park skiing, it was a lot similar to that. Um, what I missed was kind of getting out and exploring, hiking up the mountain, um, seeing new areas. And it was a bit more of like a puzzle piece because it was, it, you didn't have like a set route, um, which of course was like park skiing. Yeah. Okay. You can be a bit more creative, um, and maybe take a different feature over the other one. Um, whereas in mogul skiing, it's like, there's the left lane, center lane, right because for whatever reason, one feels better to you. Um, but they're pretty much the same thing. Uh, but with free ride, it was like, you can, you have this whole face and you can go wherever looks the most inviting to you. And that can be totally different from one competitor to another. Um, and I think that's kind of, int- I think that's kind of interesting to me because I could go, it was like, this is where I feel this looks like fun. This looks like a challenge. Um, I think it might score well. Uh, so I'm going to go here. I'm going to see how it goes. And it's a lot of like, especially when you get onto the free roll tour, like you don't, you don't know hundred percent until you're in it because it's visual inspection. And, and that's just also another challenge. And I also, if you were to compare free ride to like park skiing, for example, I feel like there's more, you, you have to be a good skier, like park you, you're, they're amazing in the air tricks and stuff like that. But for me is really like the actual skiing, um, that I, I missed a bit. Like that was important to me to, to be able to get out and, and just kind of challenge my abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned that the concept of planning your run as well and, mm-hmm. I, that's something that I massively struggle with. If I'm looking at a face, I'm just like, I will have a view of how it's going to look when I'm there. Um, uh, and it's just always completely different. And like, what, what have you learned? Like in, in a purely tactical level, like how have you learned to, um, get better at that? Uh, I mean, it definitely like experiences, uh, probably the, the one thing that you can't learn overnight, um, it takes time. You have to experience so many different situations, so many different mountains, terrain, um, to just really have a good grasp of what's going on. Um, and it, it changes. Like we were, I was talking about this the other day with a, a few former competitor friends of mine, the difference between competition and filming. And especially if you're, like if you're filming in a helicopter, you don't have massive amounts of time to scope your line. You have time is money and 
the minutes are ticking away and you have to be able to kind of look at something as quickly as possible and take a couple photos maybe and just you get dropped off at the top and figure out where you are and hopefully you have enough experience to like really be able to find your line whereas competition uh if the timing is as normal you have at least a full day to kind of like sit scope and figure out where you want to go um I think what I've found the most and what I usually tell people that are like starting visual inspection for the most time, it's like, try not to make it overly complicated in the beginning. Uh, Pick something that, you know, you can ski with confidence that you have like easy markers to kind of find your way down the mountain. And then as you develop your skills, um, then maybe try and, you know, take it up a notch uh, if that's what your type of skiing uh, entails. But otherwise, like, uh, just kind of like, especially with competitions, like the, the more fast and fluid you can get through an area, the better. And if you're like, kind of like constantly checking and looking where you're supposed to be going because you try to pick off a really difficult, tricky line to navigate, um, then it's probably not going to score well. And the same with filming. Like if you're kind of just billy goading your way down something, um, it's not going to, it's not going to look as great. So keep it simple in the beginning. And then as you get the experience, you can start. Yeah. Challenging yourself a bit more. If you love the podcast and you want to take in all the information in an easier to digest format, or you just prefer reading, then head to my website, tomfoxley.me and click on the blog link here. You'll find these podcasts in an easy to digest format, as well as descriptions and links that I may suggest in the show. Once more, that's tomfoxley.me. How did your dad's approach of this is what you can do better or how can you improve? How did that translate to free ride? Um, I think instead of him, because he doesn't, I mean, when I started free ride, he was starting to get quite old. Um, he doesn't fully understand. He never fully understood the sport or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but I think uh, I'd say the the biggest way probably is I, I, I've had victories in the sport and there's some, definitely some victories that are more meaningful than others than me. Some were merely just, yeah, I got on top of the points and I wasn't necessarily happy with my performance. And I think that's like a bit of my dad's, you know, how can you do better kind of coming through myself as an individual. Like I always, um, analyzing and, uh, thinking like, okay, how, how can I do better? I, this, this could have been a lot smoother. This could have been faster. Um, it is great in some senses, and it's also extremely annoying to never be a hundred percent satisfied <laughs> with what you do. But, um, for me as a competitive athlete, that's, um, I've, my my biggest critic yeah for sure you know it's it's such a it's a blessing and a curse in the same hand of having the i've got to be better um a fear of insufficiency like drives us but it's also a horrible thing to live with and it's um yeah i think you've always got to take it as a as like okay this is the benefits within it it's a tough thing to do an easy thing to say 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Couldn't yeah. agree more. When was the when was the decision to um actually before we get there, mm-hmm. what stands run out um sorry, what what runs stand out from the Free Ride World Tour? Um, I'd say probably my uh my first victory. Uh, which would have been the tram face at what's now uh, called Palisades back in 2010. Uh, I would say like kind of the background behind that was I, this was back before the, <clears throat> there was a qualifying tour in North America. So you got in, if you're a North American athlete, you got in by wildcard Uh and I had received two wild cards to the the first two events, or somewhere like one, yeah, one in Chamonix and and one in Austria, and and it, it wasn't I didn't have any like impressive results or anything like that. I think I think I was somewhere like fifth in the ranking, so not at the very bottom, but wasn't enough to uh, get a wild card to the tram face event, even though that was my home mountain at the time. Uh, so. I was there with all the competitors and stuff and the organization and a couple of my friends that are a little pushier than I am were insisting that I ask for a wild card, even though it's like against Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything I feel comfortable about. Um, But fortunately for them, they're like, no, you got to do this. And they were also kind of like vouching for me. I had um, at the time we didn't have lodging at that location. So I had taken in, a bunch of the athletes were staying with me and they're like, yeah, just pushing. So the day before the competition, uh, at the very last minute, I was awarded a wild card, but no one really knew it. So I remember the the next morning I'm going and I'm kind of scouting at the bottom. And, um, so my friends are like, Oh, you'll, you'll get it next time, Jackie. Like, no, 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 I'm going, I'm going to the top. I get to go. Um, so I was, in, I remember expecting, I'm like, all right, women are going to go last. Um, everything's going to be bombed out. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be the greatest conditions. How am I going to do this? Um, and one of my team managers at the time was like, oh, just, you know, go here, go from the top and you should hopefully avoid the bomb hole because this is where all the guys are going to go. Um, and yeah, see how it goes. So I went, I did it. Um, went from higher up, didn't quite avoid the bomb hole, had probably the world's largest um, bounce afterwards and somehow managed to, to land on my feet and ski away. And um, I remember Nicholas Halewood's organizer kind of telling me afterwards, he's like, that was a good wild card. So I had redeemed myself, made it to Verbier with the golden bib, of course I crashed because I tried to do some big cliff there and didn't really understand like what winning the world title meant at the time. I was just like, Oh, let's see what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that was like kind of what put me more so on the map for free ride, at least in the free ride world tour. Those runs where you find that point of like, you nail it where you feel very satisfied with how you perform. How does that feel? Um, it feels, I mean, I could tear that run apart too and find find things that I could do better with it. Um, but I think what I like most about some of those runs is uh, where I, 
where I pick something that's a little bit more challenging. Um, uh, maybe no other woman has done it before. I mean, I think at that point, like none of the guys had taken off from that level. Um, something that we're like, okay, there's, you know, there's a little bit of a question mark here, but I, I think I can do it. Um, those runs are the most satisfying for me. Um, as opposed to the, the runs that I've had on the tour where it's like, all right, well, you're kind of at the end of the, you're kind of right on the line for the cut. Um, let's just ski fast and pick something that, um, maybe not as challenging, but I know that I'm going to land on my feet and yeah, make it to the finish line and probably end up in the top spot. Um, it's nice that it works that way. Um, but it's not as, it's not nearly as satisfying as where I'm like, this is going to be a challenge. Let's see if it works. Um, mm. And then also knowing that, cause I've had times where I like picked off something big and for whatever reason I chickened out or maybe the conditions weren't right. Um, so when I actually do manage to like follow through with it and then especially like ski away from it, um, that's a pretty good feeling. Yeah. I can imagine to take a bit of an aggressive left turn in this, how do you approach this as a career? Like what's that like in terms of I'm going to make sure I'm getting the relevant income. I'm going to make sure that I'm like doing all those things that that annoying psychologist was, was mentioning about paying taxes <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Like how do you meld those two worlds? Um, I've been pretty fortunate that like, you know, I've been in the sport for over a decade now. And I've just kind of like worked my way up. I've had good partnerships with my sponsors that kind of like proven that I'm here. I'm here to deliver whether it's results or content. Um, I've kind of, I've, I've, I guess you could say I've paid my dues. Um, I wouldn't say I'm making boatloads of money, uh, but this is my job. This is my full-time job. And um, it took some time to get here. I don't know how long I'll stay here. <laughs> Cause it's, it's not a, it doesn't have the best retirement plan, but, um, at the moment it's working and, uh, yeah, it, but it took a, it took a lot of sacrifices to, to get to this point. Yeah. Uh, Pursuing what's meaningful, right? Yes, okay. definitely. Nice. So when that, actually, how long has this been your kind of full-time gig? Uh, Maybe since like 2012, 2013. Okay. So pretty much 10 years. Yeah. Okay, sweet. And how's your identity shifted in that time? Like how do you view yourself now compared to 2012, 2013? Well, I've retired from competition as of, I suppose this will be my, yeah, I'm going into my fourth season um, away from competition. Uh, so now it's been... I don't know. It's changed a lot. <laughs> I retired from competition. I made one movie about more like an expedition. And also within that time, after completing that expedition, became a mom soon after and still making movies. And I'd say I'm kind of in a, in a, another transition, kind of trying to figure out what life as a professional skier and a mother looks like, um, which 
is a fairly, like there's only a few of us out there doing it. So a lot of us don't really know what it looks like, but we're kind of trying to figure it out as we go. So I think, yeah. Yeah. You're breaking trail. Like you are putting those first uh, steps in. I wouldn't say I'm the first, but I'm the boot pack's not that set. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're you're somewhere in that that, that group. Okay. Yeah. That's tough. What's the, is it as disorientating that identity shift the, the, compared to what we spoke about to begin with of like, I'm no longer doing like mogul skiing. I'm pursuing something different. Is it that level of disorientation or is it something different? It's a whole nother level. <laughs> Cause it's like you go from being as a professional athlete, I'd say you're, it's pretty selfish. Like you're, it's yourself. It's all about how well you perform, what you can do and moving forward. And, um, now all of a sudden you have this little human being that you have to take care of. Um, and, and I also have a husband that has the same career as a professional athlete. So we have to both work around each other's and then take care of our child or take care of our child and then work around each other's schedules. So it's a balancing act on, um, uh, so many sides of things. And, uh, I think it's not just like, okay, it's my turn to go. You take time. I I think it's really important that we prioritize time with our child. Um, That's the most important thing right now. So things like training sometimes don't always happen. Um, And we're trying to, now he's one and a half years old. We're trying to, trying to get into the balance of things now that we have daycare and, um, help like that but it's not it's uh, everything's just a lot slower uh a bit trickier um but it's okay we're, we're figuring it out slowly mm. and i can imagine living in sweden as well that's um an added layer of complexity for you yeah i mean for me i my mother passed away a few years ago and my my father has he's in a home for dementia so i i wouldn't i think the hardest thing um is that we waited so long to have kids uh, we didn't have parents that were really capable um and then here in sweden Raina's Raina's mom helps as much as she can but I mean, she's also getting up there in ages and our child has got a lot of energy <laughs> so it's he's not the easiest um so in some senses, yeah, it's it's hard to be away from family, but at the same time, if you are going to have a family, um, Sweden is a pretty, pretty good place to, to be raising kids. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. And how did you approach that decision to, if this is too personal, like, <laughs> just let me know when it comes out. Um, how did you approach the decision to, okay, I'm going to pause my career for, x number of months or years and take this time out because like like we're discussing before like my wife and i are at this kind of conversational point and so many of our friends are at that point where they are um it's not their full-time thing but they live in bc for example and it's their a huge part of their identity mm-hmm. like this is the type of person i am um yeah i've got a bunch of friends like that and they're all kind of at this point like it's a really tough decision to step away from that and to go for such an aggressive change, but you have got that kind of, um, that time pressure too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky. We, um, so in, in Sweden, you, 
get support with IVF um, if you start the process before you turn 40. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were 39 and we were both kind of like, well, we had kind of tried, but not seriously. And we thought, oh, maybe, maybe it just doesn't work. Maybe we should see if this is something that we actually need to do. So we started the process, um, but we only got as far as like signing up and receiving some test things in, in the mail uh, because we also decided, all right, we'll, we'll like try seriously for a bit. And literally after one month, we were pregnant. And we're both kind of like, oh shit, okay, this happened. <laughs> we was. thought it would be like <laughs> after a year, we or we hadn't really gotten to the point, you know, like we didn't know if we were going to need IVF, and we were on the fence as to whether or not we would actually go through with it if it came to that. Um, I know it's been great for I've seen a lot of my friends go through the process, and it's really hard. Uh, and we weren't sure if uh, if that was for us. Um, because we had been kind of on the fence, like, oh, I don't know, like we've got our dogs. That's great. Um, but we were really fortunate and it happened and I don't know. I didn't really pause my career that much. It looked a little bit different. I skied up until one day past his due date. Um, so I was kind of out there. It was, you know, it was like a, a mellow season, I would say. Uh, but I was still going on team trips with uh, up until January. Uh, he was born in March. Um, did like a photo shoot in the fall, five months pregnant, uh, riding bikes and stuff. And uh, I just, yeah, I kind of kept going. And I think even two weeks after uh, our son was born. We were out shooting photos for a sponsor because they had asked for some stuff, which it was a little bit, it was tricky um, mm-hmm. because in Sweden, people do, they, you have like two years of parental leave that you have to share between both parents. The dad has to take at least six months. So everyone kind of assumed that I was on parental leave. Um, but because we have these non traditional jobs, um, we're like, I don't know, we can't walk away from our job and assume that's going to be there in a year. Um, so we never really took that. We never fully stopped. Mm-hmm. We had support from our sponsors, um, and understanding. So it wasn't like they were piling things on our schedule, like before. Um, but it, it wasn't, uh, we, we weren't just like, all right, we're done. We're having kids. We'll come back in a year. Uh, not sure if I can recommend that, to be honest, especially if you live in a country where you do have the luxury of having, like, being able to take a year off um, per parent. Um, I'd say if you can do it, do it. It's pretty precious time. Um, but you can you can kind of do a lot of the things you did before. It just is going to take a lot more time Mm -hmm. and it's going to look a little more different. You're not going to get as many hours out there. Um, But eventually when your kid gets a little bit older, if they're interested, you're going to have somebody else to share it with. Um, So it's, uh, it's, it's one of those, like, I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. And I feel like a lot of my friends that had kids, 
they kind of hid all that until I had kids. And then they're like, now they're going to dump all the shit on you. And I don't understand <laughs> why. Cause they're like, I guess they want you to have kids. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's not my approach. It's really hard. You're not going to sleep. I don't know when I'm going to like fully have a full night's sleep. Even when I left, I just left for a couple of days for a film tour and I was like, great, I'll catch up on sleep. Well, you don't get to bed till midnight and you wake up at clockwork at six at the latest. So it's like, I'm not catching up on sleep here. Um, but it is worth it. It's mm. totally worth it. It's just really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can only imagine. And honestly, I've heard exactly the same thing from my friends that I've asked, everyone else that I've yeah. asked who's been in the podcast in a, similar, in a not similar situation, but a similar situation. Yeah. Like it's incredibly difficult by the sounds of it, but worthwhile. Um, like probably like the best things are. Exactly. It's like, I mean, if you like a challenge, <laughs> yeah. Right. I need to go see my wife. And <laughs> I like <Yeah>. challenge. <laughs> if you like a challenge, you want to keep saying, I mean, but it's really cool at the same time as like, you it's um it's fun to introduce other people to things that you love and then now like we have the opportunity to introduce our son to all the things that we love Mm -hmm. um and that's pretty cool like we got him we have like a little like kid dried shotgun thing that we attached to our bike and he loves it he can barely touch the pegs he's kind of on the borderline for (laughs) actually fitting on it but if he sees our bikes, he just starts pointing and crying until he gets on the bike. And like yeah. that kind of, that warms our heart. Definitely. Um, yeah. So it's, it's like, there's a lot of stuff that's really hard, but there's also a lot of stuff that's pretty amazing. And that is way more important than all the hard stuff. Mm, I can, I can absolutely imagine the sponsorship piece is interesting. Like, so like I said, I've worked in, the kind of CrossFit high performance world works with a lot of um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes and these kind of elite performers and they're sponsored too. The experience from that world is sponsors can be incredibly fickle in terms of, and you can understand why from a business perspective, they're, they're just looking at dollars in versus dollars out and they've got to see an ROI. Um, but there must be dealing with that pressure to get out, do things. And I'm, completely unsure how your sponsors are they may be very different um but they're still running businesses and like it must be difficult to deal with that scarcity of oh well maybe it won't be there yeah it's i mean i was terrified to tell my sponsors um that i was pregnant and that this was happening uh and i was also really surprised to to hear I mean, I don't know, actually not a hundred percent surprised. Cause I think there's been, there's been a lot changing, um, amongst support for female athletes becoming mothers. Um, so especially in the U S I think it's like kind of taboo to just totally cut things. Um, and that's thanks to other female athletes that have come before us that have really been paving the way. Um, but that being said, it's it's still, I mean, I told them during the pandemic years and some, you know, outdoor companies were thriving, but then it was also starting to like get harder. So you never, you never know. It's like, okay, this could be a excuse to kind of cut things down a bit. Um, 
But fortunately, I had really great support from my sponsors. Um, picked up another sponsor while pregnant. Uh, been, yeah, super fortunate. And I think that a lot of companies are kind of realizing that, I mean, it doesn't necessarily make sense to drop the 40-year-olds mm-hmm. because last time I checked, we're in that age break- bracket where a lot of people, like, they're still active, they're still out there, they're still getting stuff done. And, and they've, they've got, got the money, money to spend on gear. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. And they don't necessarily relate to the 20-year-olds. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm in the sport and I, you know, I see all the 20-year-olds and it's like I'm like core in the sport and it's like there's such a different – it's such a different world to me. So if I'm 40 and I'm looking at buying gear, I'm not really going to look at the 20-year-olds. It's like it's just mm-hmm. – they're just doing something else. So I think a lot of companies, um, they also see like the the benefit of – keeping on some of these older athletes uh, that have new lifestyles. and um, So for that, I've been pretty fortunate. We'll see, we'll see how it goes moving forward. <laughs> well, I suppose it's a, it's a different lens of aspiration because like on one hand, you're saying like, look at the absolute peak performance of like, this is what we can throw some 20 year olds down and see how they come out. And it's like this insane creation that is just like, who knows what's going to happen next and then you have the aspiration of like this is how you can still live an incredible life being an incredible athlete whilst doing real life shit too and like and that is a way more um, relevant aspirational level for most people not in terms of what you're doing isn't incredible but in terms of there's a more of a connection between you and the receiver yeah i think i think so and and the more we kind of, sh- cause I, I think it's also, it's a bit different from like, I look at other sports, like for example, if you look at um, Serena Williams, that is a amazing athlete, obviously has, she, I think she's pregnant with her second kid or has had her second kid. I don't yeah. really recall, but she's got a kid and she's continued her career. Well, most people can't really relate to her situation because she has so much money and can afford like a private nanny that can follow her along the way. And that's something like, I'm not in that level as far as a professional athlete goes. And so my level is maybe a little bit more realistic to what most people can try and figure out. I still have a lot of privileges and support, you know, throughout from my sponsors and stuff, but I can't afford the nanny to follow me around. So we have, we're trading off like a lot of the families here where I live, like we'll see everyone at the bike park and parents will switch off. And um, that is our reality. We don't have someone following us around all the time. Uh, And I I think people like to like to see that and maybe get a little motivation themselves to be like, okay, it's, it can be done. Um, You can still maintain a bit of your old self before you had kids. Um, and still be a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you find, I'm guessing you find that that core part of you. It's like there's peripheral ideas of like, there's something in, so the way I'm seeing this as a kind of high performance coach is there's something within you that says yes to creativity and adventure and challenge and self-expression. And that initially was expressed through um, mogul skiing, but it wasn't quite, 
in alignment with what's really meaningful to you, that, that central part of you. But there was something more so within that in the world of free ride. And it was like that, that creativity, the unknown a bit more. And then you have that creeping in with, with becoming a mother too. Like it's, again, it's still on that adventurous path. There's, there's that kind of personal development there, but there's also challenge and there's excitement and there's giving someone else too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, for myself and like my, uh, friend Elise, who I've really been in this whole adventure together a lot with, with her and her son, I think for us, it was a little bit like, oh, you can't do that. Well, watch me. <laughs> I'm going to figure out how to make it, how to make it happen. Um, that being said, we've learned a lot of stuff that's like, yeah, you can do it. I don't advise it. <laughs> I don't advise doing certain things. Um, like but what? there is like, don't like, if you are, you can travel with your kids. It's great. It's awesome. Don't necessarily have to, depending on where you live, you can still do a lot of exciting things outdoors with your kids. Um, for potentially a lot of us in our own backyards. Uh, if you are going to travel, I don't recommend crossing too many time zones because one and a half year old doesn't understand mm -hmm. that it's two o'clock in the morning and it's not time to party, uh, <laughs> time to sleep. So I think, you know, we kind of took everything to the extreme, mm. uh, which it's, it's, it's not necessary. And, and I, I don't, I don't think it's advisable, but if you just tone it, you know, back it off like 50%, you can still get out and have a pretty exciting, you can probably do more because you're not sitting on a plane traveling from destination to destination. Um, you can probably actually do a lot more. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that's, that would be my biggest. <laughs> when advice. did you decide to turn this journey into a movie? Uh, Elise and I have been talking for years about wanting to do something together. And she actually, I, I heard the story cause I was like full on, I don't know if you ever heard the term like mom brain. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had mom brain for the majority of this journey. So what's that like <laughs> heavy brain fog, like kind of. Yeah. Like, like, cause your brain actually like change, like when you're, when you become a mom, like your brain actually changes to be able to like, take care of your child adopts to your child. I don't know the, like the exact like scientific definition of what happens. Um, but it's a real thing. It's not just a, it's not just a saying for lack of sleep or anything like that. But I was, yeah, I was definitely on this, like in this fog throughout the entire process. Um, and I know Elise kind of came up with the original idea of us coming together and, and doing something and it just kind of like worked out perfectly that she, I think she, I actually don't, I think she was already, she was pregnant. She was further along in her pregnancy than I was. Um, no, wait, she already, I'm sorry that sorry. Trying to figure out the whole timeline we didn't start this until after. Okay. She had already had a kid. Um, and I was not far behind her and we kind of, yeah, started this whole journey and uh, came up with the idea and everything. Um, 
Yeah, I was I was just so sleep deprived and but I have it's amazing that we made it happen. <laughs> now that I think about it, you would have to ask her exactly. She told me the story like two days ago because somebody was asking and it's already got you. Got yeah. You. What but, did you want to showcase? Like what was the the objective for you personally? I think um we wanted to show that like we're still relevant as athletes, like even though we've become moms and we're also older mothers, we're both in our forties that we're still relevant to athletes. We're, we still like our uh, experience uh, still can kind of outweigh what a lot of the younger athletes have, especially in the type of skiing that we do. Uh, and then also show that, okay, we can, kind of bring our kids along for the experience. But we also wanted to make it fun. We kind of wanted to, we, we poked fun a little bit at the industry uh, and how it's been in the past. And uh, we, you know, made fun of the the shit show that is parenting, especially when you're trying to be on the road all the time. Um, we, yeah, we, we wanted to, inspire um but also just make people laugh because there's just been so much uh, in there's so much that's happened in the world in the past years of the pandemic and wars and stuff like that and we just wanted to to have a good laugh as well nice and where can people watch it like what's the talk to me about availability all that kind of stuff so we don't have we're currently finalizing those details but i'm quite certain it's going to be available online um towards the end of november mm-hmm. um but i'll have to follow up with you for for the Sweet. exact like the location and timing if there's anything in between like our recording and release date i'll put it in the show notes so people can, okay. can see it within there or i might even edit over the top um but yeah that will be we'll link to it as soon as we find it um and what I think the a nice place to to kind of wrap this up and move towards closing is you spoke initially about the example that your father set you and what you learned from him. What's the example that you hope to set for your son? Um, oh, that's a good question. I I think probably the biggest thing I want to set for him is like, if you have a dream, go out there and chase it because it's, it's, that's the only way it might become a reality. Um, and it, it doesn't matter how big it is, but if you're willing to put in the work, um, it can come true. And I think for us, we've, we've already talked about this as, as parents, like, of course it'd be amazing if he's a skier and into sports, but we don't know if that's the reality when he gets older and we just want to be here to support whatever his dreams and passions, wherever they may lead him. Um, and we'll be here to help, you know, give him any of the tools that he might need to get there, but he's got to put in a lot of the hard work himself. If, if he wants to make something happen like that. Nice. Nice. And where can people follow you, follow your journey and um, yeah, keep up to date with all things Jackie Passo. Uh, so you can mostly follow me on Instagram, Jackie Passo. Um, that's where most stuff happens. I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> yep, me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> me too yeah all right awesome thank you so much um really appreciate your time thanks for having me join us on a powerful journey with once we were warriors a documentary that transcends boundaries and speaks to the souls of our veterans we need your support to turn this vision into reality once we were warriors reveals the path to recovery for injured royal marines commandos in the french alps produced by former servicemen it offers the most authentic storytelling this documentary dives deep into the lives of those who have served, challenging stereotypes and advocating for veterans' care as we approach a decade since the end of combat operations in Afghanistan. But to make this vision a reality, we need your support and your funding. Support us on a crowdfunding campaign at www.oncewewerewarriorsfilm.com to help us make this documentary a reality and give a voice to those who have sacrificed so much. Join us in making a difference. Together, we can rewrite the narrative for our veterans. Once more, that link is www.oncewewerewarriorsfilm.com.